You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast raising the bar at workplaces everywhere. Workplace Perspective is a regular podcast series for employers and employees focusing on education, training, and the law to help organizations of all sizes develop and maintain successful workplace relationships. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective are their own and should not be considered legal advice. And now, here's your host, Teresa McQueen. Thank you, James, and welcome everyone to Workplace Perspective, where we are striving to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. October marks the start of National Disability Employment Awareness Month. And in honor of this year's theme, which is America's Recovery, powered by inclusion, we're dedicating a two-part series to stress the importance of ensuring that people with disabilities have full access to employment as our nation begins to recover from the devastating impacts of COVID-19 on our country's workforce. In our effort to commemorate the many and varied contributions of people with disabilities to workplaces everywhere, see how I did that? We're talking with Tova Sherman, an author, speaker, and CEO of Reachability, an organization providing supportive and accessible programs dedicated to workplace inclusion. On today's show, Tova will be dispelling some of the more common myths about inclusion in the workplace for those with disabilities, and she'll share with us some of her 18 inclusion-isms that employers need to become a disability-confident employer. It's going to be a great show. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Workplace Perspective has a new website. Visit us at www.workplaceperspective.com. Check out our new look, including our featured guests and archive sections. Share us with your friends and colleagues to help us continue to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Welcome back to our listeners and welcome to Workplace Perspective, Tova Sherman. Hi there, and thank you so much for having me, Teresa. I'm so happy. I'm so, so interested in talking about this topic. Um, I just... You know, I spent most of my career in litigation uh, prosecuting disability discrimination cases. So the topic is very near and dear to my heart. Um, But before we get started, uh, I want you to just please tell our listeners a little bit about you and what you do. Well, as mentioned, my name is Tova Sherman, and I go by the pronouns of she, her, and I'm the CEO of a grassroots agency dedicated to inclusion of persons with disabilities. And the way we do that is by really looking at equalizing the playing field, certainly nothing special about it. But as I was developing this agency, it really came became clear to me that as long as we're working with persons with disabilities and other marginalized communities, it can only go so far if we're not all also working with the workplaces in which they're going to be accepted and not just hired, but hopefully promoted within. And what we've discovered is it's not really going the way we hoped. And despite the ADA being over 35 years old and things right. like National uh, Disability Month and so on, we still know we have a lot of work to do. And that was the reason I put together the book was to try to get the word out to, through the workplaces in North America and beyond and remind everybody of the win-win-win of inclusion of persons with disabilities in the workplace. That's great. So tell me the title of your book. So it is called Win, Win, Win. So I'm throwing that in a little early. But See how she did that? I, uh, this is the longest <laughs> title ever because it's Win, 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 the 18 inclusionisms you need to become a disability-confident employer. 
I think and that's the whole title. That's, <laughs> it is a mouthful. <sighs> I like it though, but it's needed. I think it's needed. And you mentioned something that really struck with me. It's not just hiring, you know, individuals with disabilities. I mean, that's one aspect, but it's truly seeing people with disabilities for the unique uh, contributions that they make in the workplace and promoting them so that they have the same opportunities as every as everybody else, which is the whole point of the ADA, you know, to, to, to have a whole experience like everybody else does, a career, if you will. Right. So as a person with disability, I should say that I was really spent much of my life not understanding that disability was particularly marginalized because I came from a family where every member, I'm the youngest of five, and every member of my family had a different disability. I actually thought having disability was just a thing. And the truth is, I still think that. The difference is now I had to go through a process of understanding that other people don't. And I feel a responsibility as both a first person voice, a person living on the ADHD spectrum, which I like to describe as a rainbow without all the color. You've got the mild (laughs) up in the middle. You've got the medium and at the far end, you've got the severe. I happen to be severe. And also what people don't talk about a lot is people on the ADHD spectrum often have comorbidity or live with mental illness and I happen to have a pretty severe anxiety disorder which I manage as well so again I just thought you got to just get on with it you know my mother used a servox to speak because she lost her voice box early in life I always said she sounded very smart because she sounds like Stephen Hawking right you know um, unfortunately they've both passed but uh, the truth be told I'm really really determined to use my first person voice and the work I've done as a grassroots CEO who's really under and worked alongside persons with disabilities and understood very quickly that it's not just enough to talk about, again, their needs because I was working in self, uh, self-management, self anger management. We were providing, I like to think of the reachability method as being many services to the few. We are even in the realm of legal services. I just felt like we had to have a really strong, again, many services to the few approach if we were going to see the success that I want to see both as that person with disability and that CEO who has a lot of passion and frankly, a lot of big ideas. I love it. I love it. Well, I want to start by talking about sort of dispelling some of the more common myths, because I do think that there are misperceptions that people have about individuals with disabilities and range of disabilities and wanting those people uh, in the workplace and not wanting to have that experience because they're under some misperception about what that individual will bring or possibly not bring to the workplace. So let's let's start with just the most common ones that you that you run across. Well, I'm going to even step farther back, not to waste any time, I promise. But I have to say, we have to really reflect on where we learned about disability, because the fact is we didn't get disability 101. We'd, you learn it either, I say four ways. You learn it from your family. Usually in the old days, that was whispering. You know, we couldn't even say cancer, God forbid. Right. That made it worse. But you know what I mean? That that whole yeah. building of the mystery, the fear or even the humor of making fun of the strange uncle, you know? So where do we right. learn about it? We've got the home. I'll tell you what, for me, it was the schoolyard. It was a bit of an alarming place to be an unusual kid. Let's put it that way. I think Perhaps- most people find that. 
<laughs> well, actually, you're probably right. But for this little ADHD kid, it was rough. Yeah, but bet. again, we would learn it in, again, the schoolyard at home, perhaps in a movie of the week, which is always the extreme. And then maybe my boyfriend, Anderson Cooper, he doesn't know we're dating yet, but my boyfriend, Anderson Cooper, is telling an incredible story. But it's not the bipolar guy who has two jobs, a wife and three kids, because that's not extraordinary. So I think if we step even farther back from the myth and acknowledge that I don't think people are in any way insensitive consciously, at least most aren't, to, to the issue of wanting to include disability, it's where they learned about it and how that impacted their beliefs. So now let's jump to the number one myth. And the number one myth is that people with disabilities can't do things. The fact is the reason it's that simple. I can give you 50 stats, but that's the myth. Wow. This, there's been research as recently as 2020 that specifically discussed the fact that business leaders, employers, hirers, decision makers were not engaging persons with disabilities, not because they weren't able to do the job, but the assumption was they simply weren't capable. And that comes from, frankly, that medical paradigm, which is the paradigm that states very clearly that persons with disabilities are broken, medically broken. You break a leg, you go to the hospital, you you're broken because cognitively you're different. These are things that were considered medical problems and therefore you required fixing. And as long as you're taught that and your sources of information are, as we've discussed you know, just a moment ago, one really has to ask, why wouldn't you have a bias around disability? And that's right. the number one piece. The number one thing is I really want to engage, which is true. But the myth that's pushing everything is the belief that we are not capable people because we are on the medical paradigm broken. So what's happening now and what you and I are fighting towards, and thank you for being the person you've been and the lawyer you've been and making decisions you've made to support the community because there's a lot of voices not being heard and they need people like me with a big mouth to get it out there and you with not as big a mouth, but certainly the understanding of what's needed. So more importantly, to get back to it, we want to push towards this social paradigm. I call it human rights because it's really about equalizing the playing field. But the social paradigm is saying, wait a minute, people with disability aren't broken. They're people. They have decisions to make. They can contribute to communities just like anyone else. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about taking that medical myth and shifting an entire paradigm of thinking. 35 plus years after the ADA, right? right. And right. really continuing to try to push. And that's why I use terms like disability confident. We can talk about allyship. We can talk about a number of things. But disability confidence means acknowledging first and foremost that there is bias. It's going to be there. It's not about a fault. But if I don't begin countering it right out the gate, it's going to have a nice big home and the home is called through silence. Stigma is built through silence, not discussing it, not calling it out. Right. It, and as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, it's one of the reasons that the ADA and here in California, we have protections under the Fair Employment Housing Act against disability discrimination, but it protects actual and perceived. And I remember when I started litigating, I thought perceived, how does that, how does that work? But it's true. You can be, whether you are or not, you can, if your employer perceives you to be disabled, 
you can be disadvantaged in the workplace. So that's that whole mindset you just talked about. That's the perception, the myth, uh, you know, the preconditioning, the not expanding your mind uh, part. So you're very, you're very on point. You're very, you're right there. All right. What's, what's another myth? Okay. One of the things that I really want to get out there because it's so common is the belief, and it's in the book, is one of the inclusionisms, because the belief that if we remove architectural barriers, we're good. Yeah. I've got a sliding door at my hotel. Right. So you call it, okay, so what we talk about is architectural barriers, right? That's my term. But anything like that. architectural that allows somebody with a physical disability in is great. But here's the thing. We can remove all the architectural barriers in the world, but if the attitudinal barriers remain a lack of understanding, believing in these myths, not challenging thinking, not showing critical thinking. These things will have a home and we want to make sure they don't. So removing architectural barriers is a lovely step, but it is the attitudinal barriers from the top down that we really, really, really need to focus on if yeah, we're serious. I agree. I agree completely. I can't tell you how many times I do a training and and or see a case where they didn't get beyond ergonomics. Like the person who's in charge of the company, who's supposed to be dealing with, you know, that just has no true understanding and they've got the same issues that, you know, a lot of people do. And they're like, well, can we just fix it? Organize? Can you, can I get you a chair? Do you need a stool under your, for your feet? Do you need a special keyboard? But if it goes beyond that, which the law requires, you know, the, the law requires a myriad of, of things that an employer can do to provide a reasonable, effective accommodation for someone with a disability. And the list is varied and it takes conversation. It takes that interactive process that's required by the law to talk. I mean, they actually had to legislate talk. You have to talk to each other. Employer, you have to talk to the employee about what's the issue and how can we make this accommodation? How are you actually doing your job and how can we help you do that job better, more effectively with, with whatever, uh, you know, parameters you're living within. It always amazed me. You have to talk. (laughs) You're really leading me to one of my favorite inclusionisms. And I think it's really important for the people who are interested in workplace perspectives and have been listening to you for a long time. And that is the fish stinks from the head. I'm just saying, maybe it's because I'm from the Maritimes, whatever. In my book, I have this great graphic that was done by the artist Lee Cripps. And I don't know if anyone could see it but you, Teresa, but I have to show you because artwork accompanies every single inclusionism. Oh, that's just beautiful. And the fish stinks from the head. I, I just honestly... People at the top, leaders, you know, HR directors, um, hiring people. Guess what? If you've got inherent bias, whether conscious or unconscious, you cannot be expected. I don't expect you to make sure that you've checked those boxes and are truly equalizing your playing field. But I do expect you to do the work to remove the bias, to acknowledge its existence, and to do actions that counter it. And if it's not happening from the top down, I can't tell you how much training I do all over North America. And the thing I hear the most from the learners is, where's the boss? Right. Where's the manager? Where's the HR team? Why are we all here? But none of them are here hearing it. And it's really us who feel like we're the ones who can't step up and talk about it. So, hey, 
what's up? And you know what I say? You're right. The fish does stink from the head. And that can be good or bad. You know, well, obviously it's bad if it stinks, but if it's a good smell, (laughs) I'm completely off now, but you know what I'm saying? Off the rails. I do. I totally get it. I, it, it is important and it's with so many things. And I do think that, you know, I was talking in my trainings about try to take each case individually, each on its own. So that's one of the first steps you can take to setting aside personal bias, setting aside any unconscious bias you may have, or because we're all a product of our experiences, like you said, where we learn about disabilities, how we, how we, in the workplace, especially. So, you know, when you are exposed to people who want to work the system and I get it, not drunk the Kool-Aid. I know there's people out there who want to work the system. I get it. A lot of what you see, a lot of HR people, a lot of managers, they, that that's what they see. Then all of a sudden that's the only lens. And I really think that you have to be very cautious and set that aside each and every time, because there are people out there who genuinely need your accommodation. And, and in the sense of that word, not just the legal sense of the word, but, but that accommodation, that respect, that consideration to take them as they are, to look at them for who they are and what they need. And how can you provide it as an employer? And I'm only going to jump in to say that. And there's nothing special about accommodation. Accommodation is equalizing the playing field. Right. So before we all jump and go, oh, why did she get the lamp? Well, you know, I don't think you trade for her visual impairment. So right. let's let's just take a second. I always say to people, you got to be curious. And I don't mean the kind of curious where you say, what the hell is wrong with you, curious? I mean, the really, I'd like to know why you're, you're half hour late every Tuesday. And you kind of quietly slip in, but every other day you come in and have coffee with everyone and it's great. The curiosity isn't the what the hell's going on curiosity. Genuine curiosity is such a great tool in terms of building and retaining a diverse team. And believe me, all you have to do is open any book, magazine, research, McKinsey report, Harvard Business Review, you name it. And they're all saying the same thing. We have got to not only show diversity in the workplace. But inclusion, it has to be successful because the truth is the more different people you have, the more disagreements you have. But what we have learned in recent studies is the more a team gets along, the less likely, I mean, the more likely they are to make mistakes right? because they get along. It's like, hey, high five, we're good. So this diversity is healthy and it's relevant. And again, I I could quote 15 different studies that say it. I really like McKinsey Report uh, diversity updates and they do them every year. And they talk about the very top companies that are really the best into being diverse and the ones that are the least successful in diversity and inclusion. And we learn very quickly that it is in fact those diverse workplaces that are making the biggest strides and frankly making the most money for their shareholders bottom line it's always about the bottom line i love it all right well we're going to take i'm getting the signal we're going to take a quick break and we come back more interesting information and more on this topic with tova sherman stay with us we'll be right back Take a step toward bringing our country and community together. Start a meaningful conversation at lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step. A message from StoryCorps, Love Has No Labels, and the Ad Council. 
If you enjoyed today's show, do this. Share us, like us, give us a review on your favorite podcast app. It means a lot to us and it ensures more people tune in and raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Welcome back, everyone. In honor of National Disability Employment Awareness Month, we are talking with Tova Sherman, the CEO of Reachability, about the importance of ensuring that people with disabilities have full access to employment. When I talk about the law, people have a hard time remembering statutes and this and that. And I always talk about the fact that from a corporate perspective, if you're an HR person, if you're a manager, if you remember nothing else, but the why behind the statute, you're way ahead of the curve. And I've always stressed both for the ADA and for the Fair Employment Housing Act in California, the why behind the statute is that people with disabilities, workers with disabilities are of value to the workforce. And the goal behind the statute is to return injured workers or workers with disabilities back to the workforce as soon as possible. And to do that, the only way you're gonna get them quickly back in the workforce is providing that accommodation. You know, no 100% well before you come back to work or 100% normal, whatever, whatever that is, right? Those are unlawful. So it's about getting them back quickly and giving that accommodation and that listening and seeing them for who they are and what they are and what they contribute. So, um, I want to talk more about your inclusionisms. It's hard to say, isn't it? Inclusionisms. Well, I'm so used to it now. It used to be Tovaisms, but I thought it was too <laughs> narcissistic. And I, I spoke to my therapist and she said, don't worry, you have lots of empathy. You're fine. But honestly, I was like, I literally used to call them Tovaisms. And then my staff said, let's put them all together. Let's do a book, but let's not call them Tovaisms. <laughs> it's a deal. It's a I love deal. it. I love it. All right. Well, let's talk about him. Let's talk so that's some how more that about happened. Him. That's how that happened. I'd really love to go right now is the title of the book, because I think that really sets the tone for anything else we're going to discuss. But you're right. Inclusionisms is a really long word. Um, what I wanted to say was the title is win, win, win. And everyone of every one of your listeners is going to know Stephen Covey, the author of many books, sold 85 million books in the 80s or whatever it was, 55 million in the 80s. But more I won't be selling that many. But here's the point. I still think Covey, although correct for the 80s, which of course win-win meaning if you're a used car salesman, you don't have to rip someone off to win. That was the old thinking. His right. big management concept, of course, was both sides can win. You can buy a used car and look, it's not the best deal, but you're not, you know, it's not breaking down tomorrow. The used car salesman didn't make quite as much money as he wanted, but you might refer other people and come back. That's a basic win-win management concept. I really was reflecting on that and felt we needed to add a third win if we were going to talk about inclusion seriously and honestly. And what I meant by that third win, the concept is that obviously when you hire a person with disability, I would like to think the person hired wins. Those of us living with disability don't always get the best opportunities as a result of the word disability attachment. And so we're always very grateful and really want an interesting job. So we have a win. 
We have an employer who is clearly one because we're letting him know not only is he hired a diverse person who's going to bring really, really good creative problem solving to issues that perhaps others haven't seen from that perspective, but they're going to reflect their community. And once again, they're going to be this grateful, long-serving employee. In fact, statistics show persons with disabilities have less sick days, not more. So we have a second win. And then, of course, we have the team and or the community, at least three wins, but maybe four or five. When you think about the team gets the benefit of seeing we are diverse, we care about all elements of our community, and we want to support you with other creative problem solvers and provide you the opportunity or what I like to call osmosis of diverse communities so we can become more comfortable with them. That's great. I love that. Well, what do you see? What do you see as the most important of your inclusionism? I have to pick one or two. You know, there's a reason there's 18. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I will. No, no, no. How about you? Okay. I'm going to pick two because I think they're so relevant to the people, maybe not my favorites, but the things I think will will, will really ring to the people who uh, listen to your podcast and workplace folks. And that is... I think we have to talk about the two ways to really be truly inclusive, and that is education and osmosis. And I talk about osmosis a lot because I, education, I know you get that. That's bringing new knowledge to the workplace. That's challenging the biases that we've already spoken about. It's really attacking the myths so we can get them the hell out of the way and remind ourselves of a few facts that are actual versus perceived. So obviously, I think it's really, really important that education is a piece always. But osmosis is something I talk about a lot when I present across North America. And I'll look in a crowd. Oh, I miss looking in a crowd, by the way. And I'll look in a crowd. And I'll see always when I'm talking about perhaps working alongside a person who uses a wheelchair, I'll see heads bobbing up and down in the crowd. And I'll tell you what that means. That means they have worked with someone who uses a wheelchair and they know exactly what you're talking about. Osmosis is when we remove our own fears and myths that are built from fear by simply being around a person and realizing it was an incorrect belief based on not facts, myth. So with that, I think education and osmosis, if you wish to be a truly inclusive, healthy workplace, you need to provide both education to remove those myths, to acknowledge the biases, and to get everyone on page that it is a win, win, win to include people with disabilities in your workplace. And by the way, you already are, they're just probably not self-identifying. Statistically, 70% of workers said workplace was the last place they would talk about their disability. So well, we know it's like- there. Yeah. And there's the fear, fear comes from the belief of myth by leaders. So one, let's get that fish, you know, stop stinking from the head and let's get from the top down a buy-in, right? We wanna really think about not just education, but osmosis and bringing people in that reflect the communities and maybe even doing it in a way that's a little awkward the first time because normally you might pass over that resume. Why? Because maybe they have a gap in it. But I have a gap in my resume because I decided to take a year off and care for a dying parent. I don't know that that hirer wouldn't appreciate the fact that that's the kind of human being I am. But sometimes it's hard to find a place for caring for dying dad. You know, I mean, it's about screening in, not screening out, something my HR folks hate me when I say it, but it's true. There's too many biases built into the screening out systems. 
to think you are screening in intelligently. And most, you know, so that's our education osmosis. That would be probably one of the most important for me. And then I think that we would have to, other than win, 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 which we've touched on, we would really have to remind ourselves that everyone will have had, has, or is going to have a disability. So who the hell are we stigmatizing? Who the hell are we mythologizing? (laughs) No, I I completely agree. I have said in people who attended my trainings will know, I say all the time, especially where we live in Southern California, you are at a higher risk every time you get on the freeway for an accident. And I've sat in so many depositions and been involved in so many trials where I've thought, you know what? I have a feeling if it were you, you would want, if this were happening to you, CEO or HR person or manager, you would want compassion. You would want someone to say, hey, we know you just had a car wreck and now you're not the same as you were before and you're gonna get better, but it's gonna take a while or maybe you've got something permanent now because of it. And you would want someone to take that on, to realize you just, you're the same person. I may walk a little slower. I may, I may not get there as quickly as everybody else, but I get there, I'm still me. And that's win number three, four, five. Like I said, it's more than three wins. But if you perceive things with a minimum of three wins, you're probably already more disability confident than you realize as a leader. And you've got to project that out and you've got to be ready to say it with genuine honesty. Because if you don't even think it's you, the disability, I can assure you, someone you love and care about is definitely struggling. And we all want to be inclusive. I don't believe people are insensitive most of the time. I think it's lack of awareness. I don't think people are trying to screen out. I just think it's habit. I don't think when it comes to hiring and retaining, I do a lot of training around the hiring and retention of persons with disabilities because it's one thing to get them in there and then it's another thing to integrate the the workplace and, and the culture of the workplace and allow it to become inclusive. It's work and it's not easy, but it's doable and the payback has been shown over and over again, not just the financial through research, as I mentioned earlier, McKinsey and company and so on, but also just the joy in the workers themselves. It has been proven recently, a really surprising uh, stat came out where workers had 67% of workers, it was under 70%, had said that the culture of the workplace is now one of the reasons top reasons on why they choose which place to go. And let's be honest, right now, there's a lot of job seeker environments. It's like the field is theirs. Post COVID, we're all starting to build back up again. And I can tell you in the NGO field on the East Coast, there's a lot of people hiring and people are getting picky. And I'm glad they're looking at culture as one of the top things they're thinking about. And that's another reason for employers to say, I want the best to want to be here. And if workplace culture is important to them, that's another win when I do the disability confident thing. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So as we're wrapping up to the show, which I hate to do because I love talking about this and I love talking about it with you. You're awesome. Do you have, you want to give us your top three tips, maybe cautionary tales, some words of wisdom or your thoughts for the future on this issue? What I want to say most importantly, just to wrap up for everyone is, I really want you to take a moment and ask yourselves, anyone listening or anyone you know who you want to listen to this today, because it's important, it's important for all of us. And I want you to ask yourself, what would be the most beneficial move for your 
team, for your workplace, for your, you know, for your financial wellness. And the funny thing is, it all points to the same thing, diversity and inclusion. And I'm here to say, don't be afraid of what you do not need to be afraid of. Be curious. If you want to be an ally for all of the reasons, and you're allowed to win too. This isn't an altruistic world completely. I'm just saying there's actually things we can do where everybody wins. And isn't that a pleasure? I ask you to look at first and foremost, the biases that exist, acknowledge it. You don't have to do it publicly. You don't have to put a letter on Facebook, but acknowledge that it's probably one of the reasons you don't have is diverse a workforce and be more conscious and conscientious of that fact. And you're already on the road to win, win, winning. That is wonderful. Thank you so much. Great words of wisdom to go forward with. I thank you so much for being on the show, for sharing your expertise, your thoughts, and your enthusiasm. Uh, well, I'm a little passionate, but, you know, it, it's all right. My, my therapist said that's okay, too. So we're all good, and I hope everyone will check out the book, Win, 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 on Amazon.com anytime they can, because all we do is just try to share the wealth of knowledge. It's just a primer, and there's artists with disabilities who've reflected on every single ism, and it's really a beautiful book. I've seen some of the artwork. It is gorgeous. Worth checking out. Well, thank you so much, Tova. That's our show for today. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for sharing your thoughts and your expertise. You can learn more about Tova and Reachability by visiting www.reachability.org. That's R-E-A-C-H-A-B-I-L-I-T-Y.org. You can also connect with Tova via our website at workplaceperspective.com. If you want to learn more about what you or your organization can do to celebrate National Disability Employment Awareness Month, visit, I'm going to give you a really long website, dol.gov slash agencies slash doep slash initiatives slash deam. Or you can also visit whatcanyoudocampaign.org, the campaign for disability employment. If you can't remember all that, go to the Department of Labor's website and search for National Disability Employment Awareness Month. As always, I want to thank our listeners, my radio angels, James and the Nave at Night, and our workplace team extraordinaire, our engineer and producer, Paul Roberts, our associate producer, Melissa DeLacy, with music provided by the very talented Stephen Versaloni. I want to thank you all for joining us on Workplace Perspective, and until next time, keep raising the bar. <laughs>